Hey, how you doing? Welcome to the Fell Pony Podcast. I'm Tom Lloyd, and it's really lovely to have you all here again. In today's show, we're going to talk about all things Fell Pony Society. Shows, judging, the breed standard, and hopefully a few stories about some of the old guard of the Fell Pony Society. So I would like to introduce Fell Pony and Mixed Mountain and Moorland Judge, breeder of the Summerhouse Fell Ponies, long-standing council member and current chairman of the Fell Pony Society, Peter Bowstead. Thanks so much for joining us here, Peter. How are you wintering? Oh, fine. Yeah, fine. Lovely day today. Oh, it feels like spring today. It's been great. I've been, I'm in my t-shirt. So look, let's go right back to the beginning, Peter. I believe your father had fell ponies. He had Edenside ponies, and your uncle had Greenbell ponies. So, so whereabouts were they, and what was your involvement with them? My uncle farmed at Newbigan on Loom, which is on the edge of the Howgills, hence the name Greenbell, uh, which is one of the uh, fells on the Howgills. He's always had a fell or dales type uh, on the farm, which he used um, for farm work for a long time. And uh, I used to go uh, as a youngster virtually every summer holidays and uh, stay there and help about on the farm. That's when I first got introduced to ponies. Um, and then in the mid 1960s, he said, well, we'll, we'll get a proper Galloway. Uh, by that, he meant a registered one. And uh, he went to a chap called Walter Tewer at Kirby Stephen and bought a black filly foal. Uh, and he tells the story of, uh, as he was leaving, he he said to Walter, uh, well, is it a fella or is it a Dales? Walter said, well, what do you want it to be? When the papers arrived, it was uh, registered as a fell and they'd called it Wharton Surprise. My father had a couple of grey fells um, from that mare and uh, they were by the stallion of a chap called Reuben Tunstall at Cotherston. The stallion was called Frizzington White Heather. There weren't a lot of greys about at that time. And I know when um, later on he showed it in mixed mountain and moorland classes, it was quite frequently mistaken for a highland. But if anything, it was more like a Dales than a highland. Because whenever I, whenever I showed um, under Peggy Crossland, uh, she, she always used to remind me that uh, a lot of the Wharton ponies were like Dales. She'd say it wasn't, it wasn't Peggy's type, and Peggy used to go for the smaller brown sleddle type of ponies. Uh, uh, anyway, my father bred not, not very many because he did lose a few with syndrome, but he made he, he bred one or two under the Eden side name um, because his land was bordering the River Eden at Lazenby. And I started up again in 2008 and called my pony Summerhouse because on the land that I'd bought there, it used to belong to a local hospital. 
in the past they used to wheel wheelchair patients up to this summer house as it as they call it it was like an open bandstand it's on one of the highest points in lancaster about only about a thousand foot up but you can you've got views across the loon estuary to glass and dock that's how i chose the name summer house yeah so when you when you started breeding again you started from scratch so did you have an idea of the type of pony you wanted to breed yes i, I had an idea of the type of pony i had quite a lot of the in the past of Heltondale and Town End ponies, because I never never had much land uh, until I bought this. Uh, I used to tend to maybe buy a youngster or two from uh, Eddie Wilson at Town End or or Size Noble, and break him in and sell them that way. Really, but my idea was to try and um, get back to my uncle's line. Which, which I did manage to do through uh, tracing through through the internet, basically. Uh, and I traced a pony that would be the fourth generation from that, from that mare that my uncle bought off, Walter Chua, traced it up in Scotland. It was a three, and uh, I, I told the lady the story, you know, uh, as I've just told you now, uh, and asked if she had anything that she'd like to sell, uh, would she bear me in mind? And she wrote back and she said, yes, I have a three-year-old black filly. In fact, it was got with a grey because she'd hoped to breed grey as well. It was got by a a Loonsdale Mercury pony that ended up in America now. I know Loonsdale Mercury. I had him for one summer, actually. Yeah, he's a fine horse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, th- this three-year-old filly was by uh, by him out of um, the last the last live pony that my my father had bred. So I went up into the west coast of Scotland um, to buy that, and that that really is the foundation of the uh, summer house ponies. So that, that's a lovely story. So you've gone back to the old line, uh, you know, and brought it back, and that's really, really, really nice story. That Peter. Yeah. So how how do you go about choosing the right stallion? Because if you you put the best mare with the best stallion, you don't necessarily get the best foal, do you? Or or a foal at all in some cases. Well, when it started in two thousand and eight, it was it was mainly um, trying to guess what might be. FIS free, you know, FIS clear. And um, I saw again on the internet advertised a pony called Underwoods Gideon, who I'd seen shown as a four year old, I think, at the stallion show and liked him. And he was about 12 by this time and he was way down south somewhere, Cambridgeshire or something like that. And I, I, again, I just being cheeky just uh, wrote to the the owner and just said if you ever want to sell that pony uh, let me know Uh, and maybe six eight months later uh, she wrote back and said that you know I, I could buy her if I wanted now he was rather different with differently bred I did like the pony and he and he bred well for me but it was mainly a guess that he might be syndrome free because he hadn't been used that much at that point. I think he'd read three or four 
falls, but, but not that many. And I had the mare tested that I'd brought back and she was clear as well. A bit we've had it, you know, had a good start really. So so let's get on to judging, Peter. It is very interesting in the show world and I, I go to the Stallion show every year. Um you know, it's, it's good to sort of see everybody there with the ponies and it's a bit of a, a dark art, this judging, isn't it? So so for me, I know what I like and I think I know what makes a good pony, but to try and explain why I like one more than another, then it can start to get a bit tricky. So I'm really interested in how you go about judging one pony against another. And obviously we've got the rules and regulations, um, which we can come to, but do you have a list in your head of what you're looking for or does it is it kind of instinct, instinctive when you're seeing the ponies in a ring? Uh, the first first thing you look for is type. You know, it's got to it's got to tell you tell you that it's a fell pony. You know, this is a mixed class, uh, and then if it's a, a fell pony only class, it's got to tell me that it's a fell pony that would survive on the fell. In other words, it's got to have that um, hard 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 as iron. I think is what the um, the breed standard says it's got to have that look about it and you only really cultivate that i think in time and looking at a lot of ponies um, because i've only our family's only bred one or two sort of ponies at the most every year i tended to go a lot to town end and heltondale to butterwick and see the falls every year there well, so you just just go and have a visit, and just so you could see lots of foals together. Both Eddie Wilson size Noble were uh, gentlemen who were, who were very uh, accommodating and very pleased to, to to pass on their knowledge. You know, very reserved maybe to start with, but once you got to know them, uh, you know, very forthcoming with their their advice and their knowledge. And of course, if if you went to Heltondale, you would probably see you could be seeing forty foals or or more sometimes maybe. Uh, and most years there'd be twenty, nearly twenty foals at Town End. Whereas if you just went to the show ring, although the classes were bigger then, you would be lucky if you were seeing more than six, eight foals in a class. So you, you, you got your eye in basically by visiting the studs and, and there you had a lot of ponies in and then you got this idea. With foals in particular, I, I always look for something that looks as if it's an improver. So you, you don't necessarily want, want to see a fall that's, you know, 100% on the day, but, but something that looks as if it'll, if it'll grow on and, you know, and, and improve. As they come into the ring, often you can see your winner there. And as it walks around the ring, if it's got a good walk and, and a good trot, nine times out of ten, the confirmation will be right. Otherwise, it wouldn't move like that. So that's interesting. So you're actually sometimes looking at a foal with a view to what it's going to be like in four or five years' time. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, some foals are born really hairy with masses of feather. Uh then others you can see uh, you it's better if they've got some when they're born but you can see that it's gonna there's more gonna come and you can and you can see flat bone as, as a fall you know you can see that you can see the definition of the tendons and so on um and and those are the type that that tend to imp improve you know as they get older 
you can see a good shoulder on a young on a young pony. And unless you've got a good shoulder, there's nothing in front of the saddle or there's uh, no sort of reach in the action, you know, that, that tends to come from the, from the shoulder. There's plenty of pick up the four legs, but they haven't got this reach or this grab with the action as, as they move forward. So you talked about a little bit about um, flat bone there and things. So I was looking through the rules and regulations, which I have done a few times, but I actually going through with a, what do you call it, with a fine tooth comb. And uh, bones actually mentioned in the rules and regulations, isn't it? The other things in the rules are, so it talks about um, the head, the nostrils, the eyes, the ears, the neck, the mane, the action. So these, these things would have all been decided a hundred years ago when the society was formed. I guess there would have been a committee deciding, you know, what a fell pony should be like and putting it into words with descriptions that then you use to mark them. Yes, yeah, although you don't actually give a mark like that in a class, but if you've got it fixed in your head, if you take, say, 25 marks for the limbs and 25 marks for the action and 15 marks for the shoulder or whatever it is, I mean, there's a larger part of your 100 marks for the confirmation. Your head is, is only five points. I think as, uh, as Tommy Capstick said in, in one of those videos you did about 10 years ago, well, they don't walk on their heads. They walk on their legs, obviously. Uh, and the, the, you, virtually every fell pony breeder you talk to will, will put more emphasis on the limbs than anything else. And if you look at the, the set of marks, there is more marks for the limbs than any, than any other part. There's more, more marks for the limbs and the carcass and the head and so on. Am I right in thinking that the fell pony is the only one of the breeds that has these point system for, the, for different parts of the body? Yeah, if you look at all the breed standards, all of them will talk about flat bone. All of them talk about a pony head, small ears, uh, a big eye, expanding nostrils, a well-laid shoulder, etc. All of them say that, but none of them actually specify in terms of the marks, other than the fell pony, how many marks you get to it. And uh, say, if you're judging with, I find, with a Welsh judge, they will put more emphasis on the head than I would. I, I would put more emphasis on the feet and the limbs that than they act than they would, but but again, that's that's a preference, and it's not laid down in their breed standards. So the fella is the only one that has these points. Somebody sat down in the past when actually those points were drawn up. I don't know. They've been there a long time anyway. And and they're obviously they're there for a reason. So if you're talking about you know wide flaring nostrils, yeah. that's so you can get a lot of air through oxygen, yeah. and you know all of these points. There's a particular reason they're there for, which would have come, I guess, from probably going back before there was a society. Even people would have been keeping the best workhorses, the ones that perform best, and would have breeding off those. And gradually they would have realised that these things are you know shaping the kind of pony they want. Small ears. They don't want to be much bigger than what will fit in your hand, to be honest, because you know, and they can tuck their ears in the mane uh, and that, that helps them keep warm. You mentioned the expanding nostrils uh, and a, a, a light, nice flat face. So um, over the years, all these things have developed, as has the hair and the feather and so on. 
to be part of what you what you'd call type, you know. Uh, but with all this bone, feather, feet, what 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 matters as much as anything is the quality of it. The quality of the feather wants to be nice and silky, not wiry and and curly. The quality of the bone, flat bone, not 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 really round bone, and and the good hard round foot. And hence the saying, bone, foot and feather, the top may come, the bottom never. I've never heard that one before. That's good. That's a good one. Well, you can buy a top, can't you? you know, buy a few bags of feed and, and it'll put a top on, but you can't do much if it hasn't got enough bone or it's got a narrow donkey foot. So why why is flat, flat bone so important? I think it's because it's, it's, it's denser and, and much stronger than round bone so it's less likely to throw curbs and splints etc and and if you put your hand round it which i mean again fell pony judges are encouraged to handle the ponies uh, and apart from the deals not many other societies would encourage you in fact some don't allow it but if you put your hand around uh, below the knee around the cannon bone um, the profile, as you feel it, is, is like an axe handle rather than rounded like a, a hammer or a fence post like that. Uh, and flat bone, when you look at it from the front, if you're looking at the front legs from the front, it'll look quite narrow and the knees will be big but flat, flat knee. Look at it from the side and you won't see the knee you shouldn't see it on round bone. You might because it'll be like an apple-like knee. The same with the hocks. You want a good flat hock, not not a sort of rounded hock, apple appley joints. I call them apple-like joints. So flat knees and flat hocks are probably as good a, a way as any of um, telling where you've got flat bone. See the definition of the tendon down the front leg and down the back leg. I was told you should be able to put a pencil in those tendons. So when you've got, um, let's say you've got half a dozen fell ponies in the ring together, there's going to be subtle differences between the ponies from different studs. You know, how do you decide this pony is better than that pony? I think this is where it starts to, because they're both great ponies. What's the thought process behind that? How are you, how are you comparing the two? I think in the end, uh, I, I would go down on it, which is a better mover. Also, they would have to be of a of a similar type as well, you know. They'd they'd have to look typey. So, um, I mean, they used to talk of a riding type of fell. Uh, by that, they tended to mean probably a lighter type, lighter of bone, and certainly lighter of hair. But that's been used less recently. What I don't like is when people talk of traditional ponies. If traditional ponies were smaller and hairier, I don't think they were. If, if you mean by a traditional pony, what, one, 50 years ago, I don't think they were necessarily any smaller and certainly not hairier. Not looking at some of the pictures of ones even further back. You could spot a sleddle pony quite easily, you know. Uh, not, not, not just that the majority of them were brown, 
but they were they, they did have an idea you know if you wanted an ideal fell pony head you'd get that on a sleddle pony they did have those flared nostrils of that place the big eyes the uh, lovely little ears um, for me they tended to be a bit long and they tended to be a bit low at the hock in other words the the hocks were too near the ground therefore they didn't maybe move as well but i tell you what they were very very hard ponies we had sled alberti for a while actually and he was quite an influence on on our herd and i think my, my best line still actually has got bertie all the way through that well bertie was out of sledel rose 10th and she as far as i know was the only second placed pony to actually win the championship at the breed show because I think that was 1979 and in that year Peggy Crossland they used to have a separate judge to judge the championship uh, and uh, Peggy always put what she liked it didn't matter how much these ponies had been winning where, wherever you know she she picked the pony she liked and, and the sleddle type that was a an ideal type of pony uh, that that would be Bertie's mother and you know if you want a really <laughs> type of pony that was it you know and uh, I think it, it might have been was it by Loonsel Jerry or that rings a bell yeah, yeah I'd have to get the paperwork out but that sounds about yeah, right yeah. you know I, I mean it's, it's a very well-bred pony it, it would probably be Thomas Capstick's first stallion as well was it Birthway? I, I think um, we got him from Thomas Capstick. I think it might have been Thomas's first uh, there. And you can certainly see some of that in in the Mirthwick ponies. And I remember Henry Harrison telling me that, you know, before Thomas started breeding, he, he used to go up to Sleddle quite often and look at the ponies and, and you know, j just look at, just come and look at them before he ever started breeding. Um, certainly in any number and uh, I think it would be Henry's father who always used to say the brown ponies were the hardest ponies those hard brown you know the right the right hard brown not, not the lighty ones but uh, not the beer type those really hard brown ones would come down off the fell after a hard winter and they'd be fitter than the, the black pony but mind, there's a lot of brown sledle ponies, so there might have been some, some reason in that. But no, other, others have, have, have said the same, really. And they sort of blend, blend into the fells as well. It's, it's far harder to see them, isn't it? Well, I like a brown. I've got to say, I do like the browns. Are you ready? This is the bit we've been waiting for. This is the bit where each week I ask our guests to call the herd home. Right, so I'm going to take a step back for the microphone and I'm going to call out as if I'm calling my ponies for, for a bale of hay. So I'll go first. Okay, here we go. Come on! Come on! Ho! Okay, over to you. I'll tell you something, Tom, it doesn't matter what you shout, if you've not got a feed bucket, they don't take any notice. <laughs>
If you like what you're hearing, why not come and join the herd at Patreon and help us continue to provide great content for free. As well as podcasts, we've already uploaded over an hour of Felpony films to our Felpony Adventures YouTube channel. So come and join the herd at patreon.com slash felpony. So I said at the start, you're the chairman of the Felpony Society. I think this is your third year, um, although you've been a council for um, on council for many, many years. Yeah. And it's councils that make all the decisions. Yeah. So, so there's, you know, there's a, there's a lot goes on with the society. And just sort of staying on the, the judging part of that, the, the trainee scheme is an important part of the society's work, isn't it? So can anybody apply to be a trainee judge? Yes, as long as you've been a member for three years or more an adult member so um, you'd have to be 21 presumably and you'd have to have been a member for three years or more uh, and you just need, you just need a, a proposer and a seconder basically a couple of people that would be known to those that you know run the trainee judges scheme now initially you you would come for an assessment day where um there, there might be say four or five older ponies and four or five young ponies. Or, uh, and, you know, you you would see them as you would in a judging ring uh, and you would make your notes or comments or whatever, keep them to yourself. And then you'd be, you'd be interviewed by um, two or three more experienced judges or members of society. Um, and... Uh, if you sort of passed that assessment, you would then go on to a trainee scheme where you might be given a mentor then and you would have to attend you know, shows with uh, experienced judges. There are so many shows around now. Um, you know, is, there a, is there a demand for judges? Yes, there's much bigger demand than, than there used to be for judges. I found it, the trainee judging very good. From any, any of the judges... You always learnt something from something different from each one. You know, you wouldn't necessarily agree with them, but you could see where they were coming from. Because I was more more interested in driving than riding myself. I did ride a bit, but not a very good rider. So I, I asked in a ridden class. I asked Peggy Crossland, "Well, what you're looking for in these ponies?" Because there was one going round the ring I thought was a, a hell of a trot. You know, it would have looked really, really smart in, in, in harness. But Peggy went for the sort of one with a good walk, you know, and and she said that, well, I want something that I, that would take me over the fells with a good walk all day. I could, could walk all day, look sure-footed, uh, take me over High Street or whatever. Sarge Noble, he, when I asked Sarge what he liked in a ridden felt pony, he said, I, I, I like something that I, I would like to go shepherding on. Something that doesn't need a lot of kicking on, will we'll go on if you wanted to, but then something that looks as if it has the substance to carry not only me, but also uh, a you or two as well, uh, carry them down off the fell. And then the late Bob Charlton's father, he said, oh, I'll look for something that's going to get get me to local station the quickest. And, wh- and when I say this, and these talks, say this in these talks and that I give now, and people say, yes, but, you know, how many people go shepherding on a fell pony now? They always 
you know, and they all use quad bikes and so on. You know, how many people go to the railway station uh, by pony or, or even pony and trap? And um, it's true, they don't, but you've got to preserve the purpose that these animals were used for. Otherwise, you're going to lose the type. The types determined by the habitat, as what I said before, which is is where they get, you know, the land and the fell fell characteristics from. But it's also determined by what purpose they were used for. You know, so you've got to look at a pony now and think, well, could it pull a muck cart across a cobbled yard, or could it plough a furrow, or something like that? Not how good it is going round and round the field in circles. Times have changed and, you know, the shepherding ponies, there's not so many people shepherding and farm work with ponies. So marketing the pony to meet modern demands is, is crucial more now than ever. Yeah, it is, but the, it don't to be too difficult to market the fell pony, really, because it, 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 it's, it's a hard pony, it'll live out. In fact, you know, I, I wish people would be a bit harder on the ponies nowadays and stop putting rugs on them and things like that, you know, and worrying if, if they're worried about the cold. That doesn't affect them at all. You can market it as a, a very hard, hardy pony. It doesn't take a lot of looking after. In fact, most of them, you have to watch that they're not getting too much to eat rather than overfeed them, which is another uh, pet here to mine nowadays is pe- people stuffing hard feed into natives, particularly fell ponies, uh, when they're do- doing absolutely no work at all. Um, so the, the low maintenance, I think, uh, is what I'm trying to say there. But also, they're, they're very versatile. I mean, I've, I've seen pictures recently of a fell pony being ridden bareback by a nine-year-old child and one being, being ridden by an over 90-year-old lady. You can, they can cover a wide range. Uh, and, of course, they're excellent in harness. And for those that wanted to uh, match for teams, and it's not, not difficult to, to match with a team or a pair of fell ponies. I want to come on to um, the Fell Pony Society celebrating 100 years, Peter. So although the breed shows have been cancelled this year, um, but behind the scenes, I know there are a lot of people working away very hard on celebrating the 100 years of the Fell Pony Society. So can you tell me a bit about what the events are, what's being planned? The details are on the website. Not all the plans have obviously been finalised yet. It's hoping to sort of begin the celebrations in the, the it'll be the first or second week in May. It, it's the week where uh, Windsor Horse shows on and the Stallion show is usually at the end of that week on the Saturday. And they're hoping to have a parade at uh, parade of fell ponies at Windsor, uh, assuming we can get um, get the royal consent for that and, and maybe even some royal ponies uh, within it. I believe it's the Queen's 70th anniversary of coming to the throne it will be as well in 2022. So may, may, maybe it, they could tie in a, in a way there. I mean, the Queen is a big supporter of the Felpone. 
It's our patron and, of course, both her and the Duke of Edinburgh have um, done a great deal to publicise the foul pony over the years. So in normal times, like I say, there would be the breed shows, performance trials. The main thing are obviously the two shows. The foul pony shows have retained that um, feeling that they're like a social occasion as, as well as just a, an exhibition of the ponies. Uh, they were often it's been the only time that year you'll meet certain people and they're very popular uh, in terms of you know the, the, in terms of spectators uh, and them going not just to see the ponies but to see the people and, and have a crack if you like with the people and, and you'd often see at um, say the breed show uh, in the late, latter days when Bob Charlton and uh, people like him and Eddie Wilson, uh, readers that people had a lot of respect for, would like would like to have a word with them. And, and they, they were sitting in the car by the edge of the ring and there's a queue of people waiting, waiting to actually, you know, just, just have a few minutes uh, crack with them. So, yeah, it, it'd, be, it'd be nice to keep that. It was the first show I'd been to uh, with any pony, never mind a fell pony, and uh, it was a grey, and it spent best part of uh, Friday washing and brushing and cleaning this pony up. And we uh, we go we enter the ring. I can remember the judge very clearly. The judge was a chap called Rob Bellis uh, from Keswick, who, whose family bred the more ponies going back years. And uh, as we as we were walking around, this little chap with a with a flat hat came in with this little brown pony. Its eyes were like on stalks, and it was up and down. And he had three cow halters all tied together. Uh, and as as they were going going round, this pony got off, and um, it was all hell let loose basically. Because in those days there was just one what they called the grand ring or the main ring and all the classes were virtually in there so there would be a, a few um, maybe bulls in one corner and then in the other corner there was these hunters and this little fell pony shot in amongst all these hunters uh, and created absolute mayhem and uh, people running around trying to catch it and Henry just sort of walked up very very calmly got hold of it and just sort of patted it on his neck uh, and then carried on walking round and actually won the class uh, and deserved to win it. Uh, and then afterwards, I can remember how going back to the horse boxes, Henry was talking to a chap who, who later found out was Eddie Wilson. And that day, Eddie Wilson had a good day and he'd, he'd been champion pony and everything and they were tied up at the side of the wagon waiting for the grand parade which you know you had to parade in those days and as I'm going past they both say hello you know and, I, and I've got hold of this grey pony and I just thought I'd just say what are you looking for in a fell pony you know I often thought afterwards wouldn't you go and say to this well what you wanted is something like this, with you know this champion pony. But neither of them did. They, they came and had a look at mine, and they said, "No, oh, that's got a good foot. It's got plenty of bone. 
Yeah. I said, you've made a good start there, lad. Just you keep going. And I thought afterwards how, how encouraging that was, you know, not to say, oh, you want to get something like this, you know. This is a, this is a champion pony, but they didn't because they were both very modest gentlemen and very encouraging. After that, when I took that same pony to, to the stallion, I went to Eddie Wilson's Town End Flash. And that basically, he, he, he is more than anybody else, encouraged me to get into judging, you know. And he was the sort of person that, that would point out faults in his own pony. <laughs> you know, he just learned a massive amount talking to him and, and you know, going through the pony. And picked up a lot of stories as well. I often wished I'd written them down because I've forgotten a lot of them. So, so I mean, some of those characters, I, I first got involved um, going to the Stallion show, I think in about 1995. And there was still, it was, you know, you've been there a bit, what I call the glory days, but, but there was people like Molly Lang was still around. Um, and I, I got chatting to her because she kept goats and I had goats. So I, I, you know, I got straight in with Molly, but it felt like she could have been from a different age entirely, you know, almost, almost going back to the, the, the establishment of the society. You know, she felt like she was from that age. And a lot of those characters, um, there was a lot of characters right back then. Yeah, well, yeah, she was. And uh, Molly, Virtually ran the breed shows for for quite a number of years. I always remember judging the first breed show. Molly used to use the same numbers over and over again, and they were huge things, about the size of a A4 sheet of paper. You know, where, whereas most people cut down their numbers till till they were very small and rounded the corners off and tied them on with a a piece of uh, black thread or whatever, so that you couldn't you couldn't see it. But Molly used to use these numbers year after year, and if you forgot to hand it in, she used to get right annoyed at the end of it. But you never got anything to tie it on with. You, know, you just had this number that had these sort of little brass eyelet things where where you could put some string. So I'm judging this turnout class, and in those days, not many people wore tweeds as they do now, they, they, they were nearly all in these blue, like, showing jackets. There's this one particular lady, was, all, all you could see was this huge number on her back and this red baler twine tying it on and, <laughs> like, cutting her in half. And I, I just thought, I'll have to say something because she was, you know, very well down the line and I just said, I, I think... The turnout would have been improved if the baler twine had matched your jacket. Another story with Molly is she they overestimated the number of black stud books that we'd need. Molly said, I'm going to have to do something about these stud books. They're full underneath. <laughs> All the boxes are full and underneath my bed. <laughs> and, and since then, they've been passed around. I, I presume Catherine Wilkinson's got, got quite a few boxes full of them nowadays. Okay, next question. Um, what do you think having, breeding, owning, being around ponies has taught you? Oh, interesting question, that, Tom. But put it this way, Tom, I think they'll have taught me as much as anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good answer. Okay, Peter, so we're into the last five minutes now. So I have uh, three quick questions for you. So the first question is, ride or drive? 
drive. Very good. Uh, okay, second question. Favourite pony or line in the history of the breed? Town End Flash the second, because um, he was the sire of uh, probably one of the best ponies I had, which was called Lose a Lucky Lady, which um, I sold. It was the first fell to win Olympia, which was like the overall Mountain of Moreland Championship. I think that was 1993 it won there. And that was by down in Flash the second. All right, third question. Black, brown, bay or grey? Grey. Cool, grey. There's lots of people have been going for the grey, actually. So, okay, Peter, well, it's it's been really fascinating hearing your stories and learning a little bit more about judging. And I hope to see you ringside in a field full of ponies very soon. Well, uh, apparently we can after, what, middle of May? Or certainly after the middle of June, I think. So, uh, all being well, the breed show should happen in August. Well, fingers crossed. Okay, no problem, Tom. This year, more than ever, has made us all realise the importance of shows, not just as an opportunity to see good ponies, but also as a social event, a chance to meet new people, exchange stories, and hopefully learn from each other. And I really hope to see you all in a show field full of ponies very soon. Thank you so much for joining me and listening to the show. If you liked it, please do me a favour and subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you really liked it, do me an even bigger favour and leave a review. It will really help us get the word out. A huge thanks to my patrons who make all this possible. I am eternally grateful for your support. So why not come and join the Patreon herd and help us keep this podcast alive? Find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and you'll be able to find more episodes wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. I'm Tom Lloyd, and you're listening to the Fell Pony Podcast. See you next time. Mm-hmm.